We are working through the book of James and doing an expository sermon where we are basically going through all the verses in the book of James, but we're categorizing them into sections. And so uh, last week we talked about favoritism and how James is not big on favoritism. And so he talked about uh, that we need to not, you not favor people who are higher in the socioeconomic uh, scale than other people, but we need to treat everybody fairly. And so James is against worldly hierarchies being imposed on spiritual relationships. Worldly hierarchies being imposed on spiritual relationships. We need to see people for who they are in Christ and treat people accordingly, not impose worldly hierarchies on spiritual relationships. This week, we're going to talk about the power of words from the book of James. So let's pray. We'll get into new material here this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that we don't have to just try to figure it out on our own, but we can seek you and be led by your Holy Spirit and be led by the truth of your scriptures. And so, Father, help us to see what you've got for us today. Lord, each one of us is dealing with different things and we're fighting different parts of the battle and we need a different touch from you. So, Father, I pray that you would just bring your word alive in our hearts and touch each one of us right where we are with just what we need. So, Lord, do bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Part six of James, the power of words. Your words are powerful. Please do not underestimate that. This is probably the main point of the sermon. You're getting it in the first five seconds. And so just let it sink in. Your words are powerful. Do not underestimate the power of your words. If we just let stuff fly, that's very dangerous, (laughs) as we shall see. But your words are powerful. Let's go to Proverbs 18, verses 20 and 21. From the fruit of his mouth, the man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. Now, I would think it would be the shovel that fills the stomach. But here it says, it's the fruit of your mouth. 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. That's a tremendous amount of power that is in words. How did God create the universe? He spoke it, and we are created in God's image. We have the ability to be creative, to make things, and one of the primary things that we can create is words, is language. We can speak things, and when we speak, it affects other people, uh, and so we need to be careful how we speak because we can speak life, we can speak death. Our words are very powerful, so let's Make sure that our words are powerfully edifying rather than powerfully destructive. Amen? Because words can be powerfully destructive, but also words can be powerfully edifying. Words can lift us up. Words can strengthen us. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Do not underestimate the power of your words. Now, believers are responsible to use words wisely. Amen? 
It's our responsibility as we serve the Lord to use our words wisely. Otherwise, we run into James 1.26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Anybody up for worthless religion? Let's avoid that. Amen? How do we avoid worthless religion? We keep a tight rein on our tongue. What's a tight rein? This is describing uh, riding a horse, right? A very powerful, majestic animal. However, you can get hurt riding a horse. If the horse just takes off, you know, you're in trouble. You've got to be in control of the situation. And here, James describes us as needing to keep a tight rein, very subdued with uh, the power of the horse and the power of the tongue. Be careful not to let it fly, because if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you will be deceived. Here it says that if anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. What is the deception? The deception is that your religion is not worthless, but it actually is. In fact, a lot of religious people who just spew yuck out of their mouth do more harm than good. They do damage rather than just being nothing. How many people have met a Christian who's done damage with their words, who speaks death? It's a terrible, terrible disaster. And so we don't want to have worthless religion. We don't want to be deceived. We must keep a tight rein on our tongues. Feeling good? We just, we just read the Bible. It's going to get harder before it gets easier. All right. Yay. All right. Jesus takes our words very seriously. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Here Jesus is dealing with the, uh, 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 the fancy religious people who had a lot of negative opinions. And they did not like him, and they were willing to say things that weren't true to undermine Jesus' ministry. And so this is what Jesus has to say part of his response in Matthew chapter 12 to the very, very negative uh, religious elite. Verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. So what he's saying here is what comes out of you demonstrates what's inside of you. Doesn't matter the bumper sticker on your car. It doesn't matter you know, the t-shirt slogan, it's what you say. It's what comes out that makes the difference. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Again, Jesus is saying there's something inside of you. And when you let it out, it shows who you are. And so when people are speaking evil, they show the darkness of their own heart, even the religious elite. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So if you want to say good things, how do you get to that place? You've got to get them in your heart first. It isn't about having an evil heart and controlling it and saying good things anyway. It's just like the deeds and faith time in the book of James. If we have a lack of deeds, it's a faith problem. 
If you know you should pray more, but you're not praying, it isn't that you should put prayer on your prayer list. It's that you need to believe in the power of prayer. And then you're going to start praying, and I wouldn't be able to stop you from praying. Here, if you've got kindness in your heart, it's going to spill out. If you've got darkness in your heart, it's going to spill out. So in order to not have evil spill out, get good inside. Then the good thing is going to spill out. Verse 36. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. There you go. Do you know there's books in heaven besides the book of life? There's books of, oh, Pastor Mike just did this and it gets written down. And then there will be a day where we stand before God and he's like, oh, hey, I wanted to mention. (laughs) And then we have a little discussion. I wonder how long that's going to take. Because it's eternity, you know what I mean? I'm not thinking this is an eight-minute little discussion. This may take some time. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words are powerful. Our words are important. We need to take uh, care to use our words wisely and to keep a tight rein on our tongue. Now, I grew up hearing the phrase, talk is cheap. Anybody a talk is cheap sort of person? You know, like, what does that mean? It means words aren't powerful, right? It means I don't care what you say, you better do it. So are words always powerful or are sometimes words meaningless? The talk is cheap thing. How does that fit in with this life and death is in the power of the tongue? How does that work? Well, let's go again uh, to Matthew and Jesus is talking about this very thing in Matthew chapter 21 verses 28 through 31. And he's talking about when words don't matter. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. So at 6 a.m., you go to your uh, teenage boy and you're like, dude, get up. It's time to get to work. He's like, no, leave me alone. Pulls the covers over his head and you're like, ah, and then you go make some coffee. But then 15 minutes later, he gets up and he gets to work. All right. Not too bad. Verse 30, then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm on it. You got it. You can count on me. (sighs) Went back to sleep. Didn't get up. Verse 31, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first. So the one that said the right thing did the wrong thing. The one that said the wrong thing did the right thing. Who did what the father wanted? The first one. The one who said, I will not. The first they answered, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. So what does that mean? That means that the nice religious people 
when Jesus came, when John the Baptist came and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, today is the day of salvation. And they're like, nah, I don't think so. But the tax collectors, the people who cheat in business, take advantage of people, the prostitutes, they're like, hallelujah. And they come in, you know, like, Today is the day where your sins can be forgiven. The tax collectors and the prostitutes came in, but the fancy religious people were like, I don't know. I've seen this sort of thing before. Not really excited about it. And they didn't enter in. So here Jesus is saying, if you consider yourself religious and yet you just never enter into the things of God, what is that? Come on in. Amen. Come on in. There's people get saved from a terrible background. And 15 minutes later, they're farther along in their spiritual development than people that were born and raised in the church. What's the deal with that? Amen. All right. Feeling good. All right. Oh, all right. James. Oh, we're going back to James. Couple more, couple more big haymakers, and then we'll get happy. James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. How do you presume to be a teacher? Well, I think it's when you start teaching whether or not you've been called to teach. And what does it mean to teach? If you're telling people, here's what's true, this is how it should be, this is the deal. If you're trying to convince people of things, then you're teaching. Doesn't matter if it's over coffee, doesn't matter if it's at home, doesn't matter where it is, then you're teaching. If you're trying to convince people of things, you're teaching them. Presuming to be a teacher. I'm the one that knows. I'm going to explain to you how this is supposed to go. Teachers will be judged more strictly. And I believe in two ways. Teachers will be judged more strictly by God. When that day comes when we have to give account for every careless word that we speak, the teachers will be judged more strictly on that day. And also, teachers will be judged more strictly by people now. Let me... This is... Everybody gets a hug at the end, all right? Just find someone, give them a hug. Life will be much better. All right. Not many of you should presume to be teachers. Now, let me me make sure that I explain this extremely well. You will be judged by what God has called you to do, not by what you have chosen to do with your life. If God has called you to be a teacher, if God has called you to be a missionary, if God has called you to serve in a particular way, and you see these things like, ooh, don't presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly, and you think, oh, I don't want to be judged strictly. I'm not going to be a teacher. You'll still be judged as a teacher because that's what you were called to do. If you were called to be a missionary, you'll be judged on how good of a missionary you were, not on the life you chose. So you might as well give it a try. That's why I stepped out in this. I'd rather step out and mess it all up than avoid what God's telling me to do. At least then I did the best I could. Fall down, learn, get up, do some more. Teachers will be judged more strictly. Why? Because of the power of words. 
when we speak words, especially when we speak words to influence other people, we must be very, very careful because the mistake that's made isn't just internal. It's projected onto other people. It's very important. Now, teachers will make mistakes. Amen? So listen wisely. I'm going to try to speak as much Bible as possible because I know when I'm reading the Bible, it's got its own anointing. It's true. And we're just going to, I'm safe when I'm reading the Bible. But when I'm talking like this, then I could make a mistake. So listen wisely. Is it possible that at some point I might make a mistake in what I say? I'd say odds are fairly high. Listen wisely. Amen? Listen wisely. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged extra much. We all stumble in. (laughs) There you go. That's my version. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So if you can speak right, that's a high level. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So here, James is saying that when we speak, it's just a little part of who we are, but it's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. It's like a rudder on a ship. It's like a spark in a dry forest. It can make a big difference. So we need to be careful how we steer things with our words. Verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So James likes, uh, what do they call that, Uh, hyperbole? You know, it's like, let's just say it real strong to make a point. What he's saying is, your words are really important. You be careful what you say. Verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And now don't make this into an excuse doctrine. Well, James says no man can tame the tongue, therefore I can say whatever I want. No, that's not the point. The point is that we need to be very, very careful about what we say. Verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. So here, James is talking about another form of hypocrisy where, you know, James doesn't like hypocrites. And here is the attitude hypocrites, the Christian person who loves Jesus and hates people, who is willing to to speak curses over people while praising God. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men. That's an attitude hypocrite who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So the message here is the same that Jesus gave. What's in you is going to come out. You want to speak life, get life in you. You want to stop speaking death, get the death out of you. 
You want to stop speaking critically, get the critical heart out of you. Then we can grab hold of the good things of God. Three ways we can err in speaking from the book of James. Three specific ways we can speak wrongly in the book of James. First one, slandering other people. James 4, 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. This is an interesting one that I, uh, I mean to have greater knowledge and understanding of as time goes on. But basically what James is saying is God has a plan and God's plan is to take the sins away from people. And if you're going to sit and stick sins to people, you're sabotaging what God's trying to do. You're going against what God's trying to do. So don't think that the plan of redemption is a bad plan by sticking people's sins to them. Agree with the plan of redemption. Try to get people's sins off of them instead of being critical. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, (laughs) but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? In verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, another slander one. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So Christians grumbling against each other is probably one of the most significant ways the devil can stop God's plan from happening. Stop the kingdom of God from advancing is getting Christian people just irritated with each other. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. What does the judge is standing at the door mean? When you were a kid, were you ever doing something you weren't supposed to do? And then you turn around and there's your mom. You're like, oh, hey, hi. <laughs> and then you like try to say you're doing something different than what you're doing. But the judge is standing at the door means God is watching and he's right there. And when we turn around, we'll realize, oh, he's heard everything I just said. Uh-oh, he's standing at the door. He's ready to deal with it. Watch your words. The judge is standing at the door. We cannot slander one another. The judge is standing at the door. Another one is presumption. James 4, 13 through 16, presumption. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. Verse 14. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. All right. You're also dearly loved by God and created for eternity with him. Amen. This life comes and goes. Don't make more of it than what it is. But don't miss the fact that you were created for an eternal relationship with God. That your purpose is not just in this life, but you have a purpose in eternity. And so see that as well as the the temporal nature of this life. See both. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. So if I claim I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm acting in presumption. I'm basically telling God what my plan is and what I'm going to do. I've done that before and it hasn't worked out real well. 
here is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And then God will say, no, (laughs) why don't you do this instead? And so we don't want to be presumptive, boast and brag about our great things that we're going to do. Instead, we yield to God. We say, if it's God's will, we'll do this. We live our lives yielded and submitted to God. So we don't want to speak in presumption. And the last one is deception. James 5.12, deception. Above all, my brothers, do not swear. So when he's saying swear here, he's not saying uh, to avoid, you should also avoid bad four-letter words, that sort of a thing. But here what he's talking about is do not swear, do not like take an oath. No, man, I promise you I'm totally going to do it while you are not planning to do it. Don't swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Again, James lets it fly. Let your yes be yes, your no, no, or you will be condemned. So in the religious day, when James was writing this, they had various rules. If you made a promise or you swore, took an oath in a particular way, then you could break your promise and it wasn't bad. However, if you did it a different way, like uh, if you remember the scripture where Jesus is talking about, you know, if, if you Swear by the altar, you're not bound by your oath. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, you are bound by your oath. You know, they had all these goofy rules. You remember again in elementary school, what did this mean? If you crossed your fingers, what did it mean? I can lie as much as I want and I'm innocent because I crossed my fingers. Right? Well, what James is saying is you don't get to do that. You don't get to play little games so that your yes can be no and your no can be yes. Your yes needs to be yes and your no needs to be no. And for Minnesota people, let me just tell you, the Minnesota maybe is a hassle for everyone. If a Minnesota person says maybe, what does that mean? No, heck no, is what maybe means in Minnesota. I'll I'll try. I hope I can. No is what that means. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no, all right? It's very helpful to communicate effectively. Now, say it nice. Oh, I'd love to. It's just not going to work for my schedule. Fantastic. All right, so let your yes be yes, your no be no. All right, a few things. We've We've got a little bit of time. I was thinking, if we're talking about words, there's a few things that I just really want you to know about words. Words are powerful. Don't underestimate that. You know, I'm saying it again. It's come up twice, so this is important. Your words are powerful. Don't underestimate the power of your words. And speaking the truth in love gives your words the greatest power for good that they can have. When you speak the truth in love, That's when your words have their greatest power for good. If we say something that's true with a right heart towards somebody and we we're speaking truth and life into that person, you know, you can say, wow, you're an artist. Look, look what you can do. That's amazing. And in their heart, they were hoping they were an artist but now they see it because someone else believed in them because it's true and it's spoken in love. When you speak the truth in love, it has its greatest power for good. If you speak 
the truth, but it's not in love. You know, you can speak the truth to hurt somebody. You can speak the truth out of frustration. You can speak the truth uh, to win an argument and to put somebody down, put them in their place. If you speak the truth that way, you can end up doing damage, doing harm, hurting people with the truth. The truth in love, not just the truth in these other, other ways. And then if you don't speak the truth, maybe you're very loving, but then if you're not speaking truth, you're going to end up being an enabler. You're going to end up not helping that person. You're going to keep them in their mess and love them and justify them and, and just coddle them and let them stay there. Now let's get out. The truth in love, that's where the power is. That's where we grow. Speak the truth in love. When we're not quite true or not quite in love, that's when we lose power or we become destructive. Next important thing, you don't just speak to others, you speak to yourself too. You don't just speak to others, you speak to yourself too. Speak the truth in love to yourself or you'll end up believing lies, you'll end up speaking death over yourself, You'll end up having destruction happen because you've spoken the wrong things over yourself. There's an internal voice. There's an internal speaking that we speak over ourselves. You be careful to speak the truth and love over yourself as well. Don't speak death over yourself. Don't speak lies over yourself. Be careful how you speak over yourself. Whose word is most powerful? Your word, some random person in your life's word, or God's word? It's a trick question. <laughs> Whose word is most powerful? I, let me, I'm a, this is a great question because here's the answer. It's whichever one you believe. If you believe you're a rotten piece of garbage that shouldn't live any longer, that Word over you is going to have tremendous impact on you. Its power will be greater than the power of the the word of God, which says you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God loved you so much he sent his one and only son that you could have everlasting life. It'll be more powerful than God's word in your life. You'll believe a lie and it will push out the truth of God and it could bring profound destruction. The word that's most powerful is the one you believe. Now, which word is the most true? God's word is the most true. So, oh, believe the one that's true. Amen. Don't believe the one that's a lie. That evil that was spoken over you when you were a kid and you still believe it. You reject that lie and you believe the truth. You believe the truth of God. Amen. If you can get free from the lies you've spoken over yourself or the lies other people have spoken over you and you can believe the truth of God for who you are? Oh, man. This could be a before and after moment in your life. Believe the truth. The next level of using our words is speaking in faith. Heather talked about this a little bit with the promises are yes and amen. There are all kinds of promises of God. When we read them, we know they're not happening. (laughs) Amen. You read a promise in the scriptures. You're like, I I don't have that. What do you do with that? 
It's a sticks and stones may break my bones situation. Do you remember, again, when I was young, the phrase was rather common. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that true? Of course not. However, it's a statement of faith. What you're trying to do when you say that is defend yourself against the evil that's being spoken over you. You're trying to not have the words hurt you. And if you say it enough times, the words start to have less power over you. And that's just a goofy little phrase that somebody made up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You say it 50 times and pretty soon somebody calls you a name and you're like, who are you? Your words mean nothing to me. I'm not going to believe that lie. And you've got strength. What if you were quoting scripture instead of saying some weird phrase? Then you're speaking in faith and you're bringing something into existence that was only true spiritually. It was there that we could grab hold of it. Like there is now, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many people are in Christ Jesus and they still walk in condemnation? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're you're in Christ Jesus, you're just walking in shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you begin to speak in faith and you begin to believe, you know what? I've, I've asked for forgiveness from the living God. The blood of Christ is sufficient for me. Why am I walking in shame and condemnation? And you start to speak out the scriptures in faith and you begin to grab hold of it over time. And it becomes more and more true the more you stand on it. There are tons of promises in the scripture that deal with that. Let's just do one of them. We'll do, we'll do, the, we'll do the Philippians 4. Because this is a big one. And I got four minutes, all kinds of time. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay. Bible said don't be anxious. So I guess I won't be. Is that how that works? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So here Paul is teaching the people in Philippi, and he's saying, okay, you've got anxiety. You need to set it before God. You need to keep a thankful heart. Cultivate thankfulness in your heart, not bitterness, not you know feeling like you're getting a raw deal. Cultivate thankfulness. Present those things before God, and then something's going to happen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind, and it will be beyond what you can understand. But you know you've put the thing before God. God's got it. He's bigger than me. He understands better than me. So I can just trust the situation. I'm going to walk in the fullness of what God has shown me, but now I can start apprehending peace for both my mind and my heart. You just do that once and you're done. You got to keep at that. You got to keep at that. You keep at that. You you keep speaking that over yourself. You keep believing those verses. And all of a sudden, after what, a year, you start having less anxiety. And you start learning how to cast your cares upon the Lord. And you start apprehending this promise. And there are just tons of promises. Don't look at them and say, oh, I guess that's not for me. Speak in faith. Your words have power. You can get to that place if you speak it. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute.
I got one more thing I want to say from James. We want to have the truth in us because the overflow will come from our hearts. How do we get that in there? How do we get it in? Here's here's the way I'll say it today. There's various ways to say it. We get the truth in us by listening wisely. Listen wisely. Don't listen foolishly. If someone speaks a lie, don't accept it. If you speak a lie over yourself, don't accept that. Listen wisely. In our culture, we listen very poorly as a, as a group. What we do is we listen to the first word, maybe two, sometimes three words. And then we start talking about how wrong the other person is and how terrible they are. And we post it on social media. It's not helpful. If we're going to listen wisely, then we need to listen long and we need to evaluate properly. We need to listen to and value people that oppose us or disagree with us. Listen wisely. Now, you don't have to agree. I'm not saying agree. But listen wisely. Listen and listen in love. Let's go to James 1, 19 through 21. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone. Who's in everyone in here? Amen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listen wisely. Keep your mouth shut while you're learning and evaluating, and then don't respond out of emotion. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It's good to listen wisely to people and you have to be very discerning when you're listening to people because again, they're going to say all kinds of goofy things and you have to be careful to listen wisely so you don't accept the wrong things so that you can see clearly. But how should we listen to God? How do we listen wisely to God? Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We listen to the truth of God and we accept it. We trust it. We have faith in it. We believe. We don't get to just make up whatever we want. We want to listen to the Lord. I want us to listen to the Lord. I'm just going to, we did John 3.16 last week. I'm just going to speak it real quick. For God so loved the world and the individuals of the world And you personally, God so loved me, God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen wisely to John 3.16. God knows your name. He loves you. He wants to set you free. And he wants to bring you in. 
Listen wisely. And let's listen wisely in prayer too. We're going to pray together. And I want us to be able to hear truth and reject lies as we pray. And then I'll invite people up to the front. There's prayer time. Come up here. I want people, I want this place full of people getting prayed for. Well, let's pray together and then I'll open it up for the front. When it's time to come up to the front, you can pray for anything. Come on up. You may not even be sure why you're coming down, but you know you're supposed to. Come get prayer. Let's pray together along these lines of listening wisely. And so then we'll close. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you that your word is true. Your word is more true than what we think. Your word is more true than what someone we care about speaks over us. Your word is true. Let us listen wisely to your word. Believe and grab hold of your truth. Not believing lies. Not distracted and pushed aside by this darkness, but Lord, knowing your truth. Father, I pray that you would reveal in our hearts right now a lie that we've believed. Something that's not true. Something that someone has spoken over us, an evil that has come upon us, that somehow has infiltrated our heart and we have believed it. Father, show us that lie and give us the power to reject it right now. Let us not believe the things that aren't true, but let us believe your truth. Let us listen wisely to your word, listen wisely to your spirit, and be able to grab hold of your power. Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in here right now. Lord, I pray that your love would overcome all the darkness, that the power of your everlasting life would push out all the death and destruction that has infiltrated us through this dark world. And Father, may we have that peace that Philippians talks about. May we have joy and may we walk in your power. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.